For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100 plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me. Hey, it's Elise. Whether it be via comment on Apple Podcasts, the Q&A on Spotify, by email, or a social media post, here at Unspookable, we receive a lot of suggestions for episode topics from listeners just like you. Know that from upcoming episodes on ghosts and on SCP, that we read them all and carefully consider what subjects receive the unspookable treatment. If you have an episode you'd like to hear covered, leave a comment, send us an email, or you and a grown-up can even post on Instagram or TikTok. We always appreciate hearing from our fans. This week, we are happy to play an encore performance for one of our most requested topics, one that we thought was very scary, until we looked a little bit deeper. Please enjoy this encore presentation of Momo and Media Literacy. Soundington Media! I'm going to ask you a question that may seem really basic at first. When you say something is true, what do you mean? For lots of us, the word true might be so clear in our minds that it's hard to explain it, or it feels obvious. But I want you to take a few seconds to think about it. If you're with someone while you're listening to this, maybe you can say what you think out loud to each other. Go ahead and take a few seconds, for real. I'm going to think about it too. For me, the word true brings up a lot of related words that make a web in my head. Like, if something is true, it's a fact, or you can prove it. If something's true, it's not a lie. And if it's true, it's real. The word true also relates to the word believe for me. And this word is tricky, because sometimes when we believe in something that makes it true to us, it makes it real. A lot of the process of growing up as a human being is figuring out what we believe in and how we want to act in the world. So this brings me to my next question. When there is so much information to take in every day, and when some of this information feels dangerous, how do we humans figure out what is true? How should we figure out what to believe? I'm Elise Parisian, and we're going to talk about a recent phenomenon of belief that caused a lot of people to feel very afraid. Have you heard of Momo? Don't worry, we're gonna take a close look at what Momo really is, how the image became so powerful, and if we really need to be afraid of it. All on this episode of Unspookable. first time I saw Momo, I screamed. Momo is like this doll. She's, I don't think she's like a doll, but she's like creepy, like so creepy. And she just makes me scared, really scared. Momo looks like a chicken and a woman, has wide open eyes, black stringy hair, and a smile that could scare anybody. Do you remember earlier this year when the name Momo was all over the news? 
Kids were talking about it, adults were talking about it, news and radio stations were covering it, and schools were trying to figure out if MoMA was something they should be panicking about. The virality was especially strong because of what people were calling the hashtag Momo challenge. Now, we've talked about some viral challenges on Unspookable before, in our Charlie Charlie episode, and with Slenderman. It seems like there's always an opportunity for something scary to go viral at any minute, and this was definitely the case with Momo. Pictures of Momo were shared millions of times in just a few days, and even celebrities picked up the story. Like Kim Kardashian West, who went on Instagram to share a warning about the Momo challenge with her 129 million followers. But before we get into what this supposed challenge is, let's talk about who or what Momo is. For people who are familiar with the name, thinking about the image of Momo might make you cringe, and that's perfectly normal. I mean, Momo is creepy. We don't have to pretend like it isn't. The image of Momo that's been shared the most is a close-up of a female-looking face with big, bulging eyes, a huge, pointed mouth, and stringy black hair. Her skin looks almost reddish in some photos, even though it's pale, and you don't really know what expression she's making. Is that a creepy smile? What is she looking at to make her eyes pop that way? If you've seen a full-body picture of Momo, you can see that it's a woman's head on the body of a bird-like creature which adds an even weirder dimension to the whole thing. So let's say you're online just skipping around YouTube and all of a sudden you come across Momo. Or maybe someone snaps you the image. With absolutely no explanation whatsoever, yeah, this could be pretty terrifying. As human beings, our fear response to potential threats has evolved over thousands of years to trigger hormones, which activate throughout our entire bodies, before our rational brains can even ask, wait, what is this? When you're afraid, adrenaline is released in your body, which increases your heart rate and makes you more alert. All of this is a survival mechanism. After all, though we may think we're more evolved in some ways, humans are just animals. Before we built cities with protective walls, or dreamed of something like the internet, our ancestors were just trying to survive. The adrenaline-fueled fight-or-flight mechanism is built into us at the most basic level. Even in our supposedly advanced societies, we still need this intrinsic skill. Not all of us are safe all the time. But for some of us, the adrenaline trigger can also be fun. It's why we choose to watch scary movies or go to haunted houses. And it can be why we choose to look at something like Momo, and share it so that others can look at it too. But then, hopefully, if we're only momentarily startled, and then we can let our brain take over, we can ask ourselves, what is this really? In the case of Momo, just a little digging will tell us all about the intentions behind the image. Momo is actually a sculpture called Motherbird. It was created by Japanese artist Keisuke Aisawa for the special effects company Link Factory. In 2016, Aisawa displayed the sculpture in an art gallery in Tokyo, known for horror artwork, called Vanilla Gallery. That's when the original photos were taken. He based the sculpture on the Japanese legend of Ubume, the ghost of a woman who died in childbirth. So, while the creator was intending the sculpture to be seen as scary, He never intended for it to be part of a challenge, or create as much panic as it did. So where did the panic come from? 
Well, people visiting the gallery took pictures of Motherbird and posted them to Instagram. Those pictures found their way to a website called Reddit, and a particular section where creepy things get posted. Then, from there, people started using the image to try and deliberately scare people, similar to how they did with Slenderman, like we talked about last season. And it wasn't just the image. What really made Momo go viral was the so-called Momo Challenge, where images or videos of Momo would be accompanied by directions to do dangerous things. Many adults shared the warning, saying that Momo was telling children to hurt themselves, and that children had died because of this challenge. And here's where we can take a pause, just like we did at the beginning, and ask, but is that true? Or are people just believing something with no evidence because they're scared? Of course, many adults want to protect the children in their lives by warning others that something online might be dangerous. But how much of that fear comes from not understanding something? Or not doing any further research? In the case of Momo, a lot. It's been acknowledged before that Momo is a hoax. In particular, the claim that Momo has bad intentions or is trying to tell kids to hurt themselves, that part is definitely a hoax. People spread that rumor on the internet to make it go viral, and for the rush of trying to scare others. As we've said before, the internet is just a tool. Most people use it to try and improve the quality of their life, but there are some people who choose to use it to try and harm other people and take advantage of their lack of knowledge. As those of us in younger generations know, some adults don't understand a lot about the platforms we use, like Snapchat, YouTube, or TikTok. They jump to conclusions about things being good or bad, usually because they want to protect us. The Momo Challenge is only one in a series of viral challenges that routinely pop up, scare a lot of people, and then are either debunked or fade away. Momo first appeared in 2016, before resurfacing again in 2019. Around the same time that Momo was invented, another challenge was circulating that people feared was making teenagers hurt themselves. The Blue Whale Challenge began in Russia in late 2015, but then circulated to Ukraine, India, and the United States. The challenge was said to last 50 days, with the first days being relatively harmless. Go to the top of a tall building, or watch a scary movie alone. But as the challenge went on, it would ask you to hurt yourself. A man named Philip Badakin was even arrested in Russia for spreading this challenge online, because so many people believed that teenagers were harming themselves because of it. Could the Blue Whale Challenge have influenced people the way that Slenderman did? Or the way that people claim Momo has? It's tough to find hard evidence that would prove a direct connection. But whether or not these things can be proven, it's important to think about where they're coming from, and why. This type of thing doesn't just happen today because of the internet. There are examples throughout history of people being so afraid of something, or someone, that they spread false information. In the 1980s in the US, many people were panicked about children being controlled by satanic messages hidden in popular music. They thought that there were people who worshipped the devil who were trying to make their children worship too, usually to harm them. They spread this idea just like people spread the warning about the Momo challenge, just not as quickly because they didn't have Facebook. But was there any truth to this satanic panic? Well. It's possible that some children were harmed in certain circumstances, 
As we all know, the world can unfortunately be a scary place. But was it the devil that hurt them or told them to do dangerous things? No. Just like in the case of Momo, it's easy to get carried away without looking further into what's really going on. You should research so that you know what's real and what's not real. Like how I just, my parents like made me research about like how Momo was scaring me and how it just wasn't real. Kids should not be on the internet and social media because like some things could be like really bad and you don't really like want anything to happen to kids. Like something could be like really bad or like swearing. Yeah, I was scared, but now I'm never going to be scared. (laughs) At least of Momo. And this is where we've got to really get into some big picture stuff about fear. We've talked about this a lot, with many different creatures and many different stories. Fear is powerful, and it's individual. We're all afraid of different things. But when a common fear sweeps up a whole group of people, or even a whole society, this is known as moral panic. Moral meaning whether something is good or bad. In the case of a moral panic, a large group of people feel that something bad is threatening their well-being, and they may do something drastic about it. Like how we mentioned that people were burning accused witches and werewolves at the stake. The most famous witch trials were in Salem, Massachusetts in the late 1600s. Hundreds of people were accused and dozens were killed. The people of Salem were so afraid of being controlled by evil magic that they allowed innocent people to be killed. This moral panic, like the fear of the satanic rituals, is often encouraged by the media. At this point, you might think, the media? Isn't the media like television news or articles on the internet? What does the media have to do with the Salem witch trials? The interesting thing is the media can be any way that people receive information. So today, our mass media consists of what we consider advanced technology. News broadcasts are watched by millions of people at the same time, all over the world. But back in 1692, in Salem, the media was as simple as a small sheet of paper that was handed out at church that told you how to identify a witch. It's the same human fear that media activates, whether by a piece of paper in 1692 or a post on a website in 2019. Moral panic can spread the same way. So we've got to be careful who we listen to, And we've got to think hard about why we listen to them. Just because something is being reported on the news, unfortunately, doesn't mean it's true. Hundreds of important news sites all over the world talked about how children could potentially be harmed by the Momo challenge. But in the end, there was no evidence that any children were hurt. You might think, why would a news site say something that isn't true, or that they haven't researched further? Well, one reason could be the power of fear. The power of fear to get people to tune in, pay attention, and follow directions. Think about the last time a friend told you a scary story. Or maybe told you about something you could get in trouble for. Did they have your attention? In many cases, that's what people who create the news, and people who are in power in other ways, want us to do. They want us to listen to them. If they can activate that fear response in us, maybe their post will go viral or their news site will get millions of clicks, or their broadcast will be seen all over the world. 
because it's probably not going to be a feel-good story that gets new people to watch a news show. Sometimes it's going to be people tuning in because they're worried about the topic the news is presenting. Or maybe feeling even more curious because it's about something scary or dangerous. That can get people just as engaged as a cute animal video. And what do those clicks and views add up to? You've probably guessed it by now. Money. Getting people to subscribe online or watch on TV makes money through advertising. When an ad pops up, either on the side of your tablet screen or during a commercial break on TV, that ad is worth more money the more people see it, right? Because the more people see it, the more likely at least some of them are going to buy what's being advertised. So if the content is really exciting, or scary, or interesting, if people think they need to tune in, that's a good thing for the people that create the content. Does this mean that everyone that gives us information is just trying to get our money? Not necessarily, but it's important to figure out where you want to get your news from, and this could be one of the factors. Do you think the content is sensationalized to get you to pay attention? Or is it really digging into information that you need to know? Ultimately, you're the one who decides who and what you listen to. You're the one who can dig deeper and ask more questions. You don't have to settle for what everyone else believes, or what everyone else is talking about. It's okay to be scared. It's even okay to be scared of Momo. I mean, come on, that picture is weird. But we need to keep asking ourselves, what's underneath the fear? And who is trying to get something out of it? After the most recent resurfacing of Momo, everyone wanted to reach the artist Kaisuke Aisawa, who created the original sculpture, to see what he was thinking. What were his true intentions? What did he think of the viral phenomenon that his artwork became? But rather than play into the sensation any further, Aisawa just said, The sculpture doesn't exist anymore. It was never meant to last. It was rotten, and I threw it away. Aisawa said that only one of the eyeballs used in the original creation would be recycled in another work. He said that while he intended it to be scary, he never wanted it to become anything more than a passing shudder if you saw it. It was never meant to be used in the way it has, he said. I have no regrets that it's gone. Humans have shared stories in so many ways over the course of our history. We used to have to tell them to each other face to face, maybe around a fire, or perhaps from a stage, or in the town square. Then there was the written word, and the printing press, and more and more people able to read and share that way. Now we share stories online at what seems like the speed of light. But no matter how we share them, the thing about stories that stays the same is that they show us something about who we are. Even when they are fantasy, or science fiction, or horror stories, even when they're made up. The things we choose to repeat and share tell us something about our culture, our values, and the way we see the world. So when it comes to werewolves or evil fairies, or even something like Momo, what do our most shared scary stories say about us? Underneath all the things we can identify as make-believe, what are we really afraid of? Or is it that question itself that is really the scariest of all. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. 
This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condon, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen, with episode artwork by Sarah Stitches. Special thanks this week to our guests, Blythe and Olivia. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Hey, it's Elise and Nate from Unspookable. For the next two months, Unspookable is conducting a listener survey to help us get to know you, your interests, and what you think of the show. Please support the podcast by taking our short questionnaire at www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash unspookable. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback will help us improve the show and help us find new sponsors and partners who interest you and your family. Plus, as our way of saying thank you, you will be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Again, that's www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash unspookable, or click on the link in our show notes. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.